the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It doesn't often testify as, as greatly as, as to the character and nature of God than when someone who is just kind of inadequate and not really qualified. God is most glorified often for those he uses who are least qualified. And it is a reminder to us, you are never too young and you are never too old to be used by God. He just wants available people, ordinary people, to do his extraordinary work for the kingdom. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. You are broken. All of us are. You can spend all of your time, energy, and resources trying to change that, but it's impossible on your own. Ever since the first sin, the first time man rebelled against God and broke intimacy with him, we've been broken and incapable of restoration. As Pastor Gary begins our study of the book of Jeremiah in today's message, he'll remind us that our God is the only one capable of bringing that restoration. All we can do is acknowledge our weakness and trust in Him. He'll take care of the rest. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, as he begins his message, Broken Cisterns. Starting a new book study today out of Jeremiah. We're going to be chapter 1. While you're turning there, just just to let you know as we get into this new book study together that Jeremiah starts his book by giving us a little background on himself, including his calling and appointment by God as a prophet to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. So I'm going to read here from chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll unpack this a little bit and also look a little bit into chapter 2 this morning. So let me read from chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. First, a couple of things I think are worth noting from these opening verses. One is God's calling of Jeremiah. I love how God just stoops down and picks this guy, Jeremiah, to be God's mouthpiece for his generation. And I want you to notice in verse 5 of what we just read, that God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Notice with me, please, that God chose Jeremiah even before Jeremiah was conceived. Now, you know, look, those who are pro-abortion will say to you that life begins at birth. Those of us who are pro-life would say that life begins at conception. But I want you to notice with me that God goes even further back than that. And and just to clarify, uh, people are not, you know, first these little chubby babies playing harps on clouds in heaven, and then God sends us to earth when we're born. It doesn't work like that. All right, that's, that's a figment of artists' rendition of things. But what the Bible does say is that based on God's foreknowledge, He knows us, He loves us, and He has a purpose for us even before we're conceived. That's how God goes back even further than conception, if you notice this with me. Which means to me, you know, I'm proud to be pro-life, but I think it would be more biblical, more accurate to say, we should be pre-pro-life. We should love life so much in the way that God does that He values and esteems life that he knows even before we are conceived. That's how much value God places on human life. The second thing I want to quickly point out from these opening verses is Jeremiah's feeling of inadequacy for the task. You know, God has called him, I want you to be the prophet for the nation of Judah. I want you to speak for me. And he feels very inadequate for the task. In verse 6, he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. It is believed that Jeremiah may be as young as 22 years of age, and more likely he's 17 years of age when God calls him to be a prophet for the nation of Judah. So anybody at that age should feel inadequate for the task and a little underqualified. But God always knows what he's doing. And God always looks at the heart. And he selects people that are not necessarily able people, but they are available people. Because listen to me on this, God is most, quali- uh, most glorified when he uses people who are often less qualified. Because then God is most exalted. You know, if, if people steal the glory because they're so polished and they're so put together, then it doesn't often testify as, as greatly as, as to the character and nature of God than when someone who is just kind of inadequate and not really qualified. God is most glorified often for those he uses who are least qualified. And it is a reminder to us, you are never too young and you are never too old to be used by God. 
He just wants available people, ordinary people, to do his extraordinary work for the kingdom. So last week we finished the book of Isaiah. That's what we do here at Cornerstone. We go straight through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when we go from the end of Isaiah to the first chapter of Jeremiah, we've advanced about 60 years. Isaiah has now been dead about 60 years. Uh, Tradition says, rabbinic tradition says, that Isaiah was sawed in two by King Manasseh, who didn't want to hear any more of his prophecies. So a Jewish king of Judah, Manasseh, uh, tradition says, had Isaiah sawed in two. Isaiah has been dead now for 60 years, and Jeremiah is now the new prophet on the scene here that God has called and raised up to to preach to the people of Judah. Um, Jeremiah picks up right where Isaiah left off. The the problem is, is that the Jewish people are now at even a worse state spiritually than they were in the days of Isaiah because they did not heed the words of Isaiah. And so time after time after time, prophet after prophet after prophet... The people of God are turning away from God, turning to themselves, turning to idols, false gods. So they're really in a more spiritually uh, uh, worse off place under the ministry of Jeremiah than they, than they were in Isaiah's time. Uh, Jeremiah's name in the Hebrew is uh, Yirmiyahu. That's how you pronounce it. Yirmiyahu in Hebrew translates God throws. Okay. Literally, he, what, what he's telling us through his name is that through Jeremiah, God's about to throw down. Because the people are about to receive his judgment in the form of the Babylonian Empire. Now, this is prophecy, but we have the advantage of history now looking back to see the words of Jeremiah came to pass. God will bring the Babylonians from the north, and they will besiege Jerusalem. They will destroy the temple, and they will exile thousands of Jewish people off to Babylon, which is today in modern Iraq, right along the uh, Tigris uh, River. Uh, the Euphrates River, in between Tigris and Euphrates. And, and God will use the Babylonians to spank his kids. And he's going to put them on a 70-year timeout in Babylon. Okay? That's the way God works with us sometimes. I mean, if you're, if you're drifting from the Lord, if you're not walking with him, if you're being unfaithful to him, God always loves us enough never to allow us to remain as we are. And Hebrews tells us that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, only painful, but produces a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. And so God will at times discipline us because he loves us. Because as a loving father, he knows always what's best for us. When we start to stray, he's going to give us a little spanking and put us on a little time out. That's what he did with the Jewish people. He brings the Babylonians from the north. And Jeremiah sees this before it happens. Jeremiah's ministry spans from about 626 B.C. until uh, at least through the siege of Jerusalem, which is 586 B.C. So it's more than 40 years, give or take. And in advance, 40 years in advance of the Babylonians coming, Jeremiah's warning them, he's a tough prophet. He is tough with them, but he's also very tender. And he's going to say the tough truth with tender tears. And therefore, Jeremiah will be known as the weeping prophet. In fact, you don't need to turn there, but further in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, Jeremiah says, Oh, that my, heart, my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. 
I mean, he is, he's, he's feeling for his people. So he's weeping constantly through this letter. Uh, often in Scripture, you read in the Gospels, Jesus is uh, likened unto Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, because of the compassion that Jesus had for the people that he ministered to. So this is that Jeremiah. He, he's, he's tough with the truth, but he's tender in saying the truth, and he's tearful, and he's crying, he's weeping for his people. He's like, don't you guys get it? Judgment is coming. Why don't you turn to the Lord? Turn to the Lord before it's too late. But unfortunately, it falls on deaf ears. And more than falling on deaf ears, when the people hear what he says, they're offended by it. And, and so they, are, they, they become enraged towards Jeremiah because he's speaking the truth and he's warning them. And so what we'll read through Jeremiah is as a result of their anger towards him for the truth that he speaks, he will be often beaten, he will be imprisoned, he will be thrown in a pit, he will be considered a traitor by his own countrymen, all because he's only trying to say the truth. They will mistreat him and oppose him. He will suffer greatly. In fact, so much so that God warns him in Jeremiah 16, verse 2. He says to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, again, is sometime somewhere between 17 and 22. God says to him, do not get married and have kids. He tells Jeremiah specifically, I don't want you to even get married and have kids because I don't want you to bring a wife and children into the calamity that I'm about to bring upon the people of Judah. God tells Jeremiah in advance, my wrath, my judgment is coming. I don't even want you to get married. I don't want you to bring a wife and kids into this scene. So he's personally feeling this and living it out. And he's warning the people. He's weeping. And, he's, and, and all they're doing is they're beating him. They're throwing him in, in, in a pit, which is probably a cistern. And, and they're imprisoning him. They're mistreating him. They're maligning him. They're ostracizing him. They're doing everything they can to avoid what he has to hear and uh, to say. And when they hear what he has to say, they do everything they can to hurt him in the process. And unfortunately, Jeremiah will live long enough to see his own words come to pass. He will live long enough to see the Babylonians come, besiege Jerusalem, destroy the temple of God, and exile thousands of Jews back to Babylon. Among them, by the way, Daniel and his friends. In 606 BC, Daniel and his friends are taken in the first wave of the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, takes up Jews from Jerusalem back to Babylon. And Daniel will die in Babylon. He'll live out the rest of his life there. That's the scene. You get the feeling of like, what's going on here? Now, the big question becomes, why is God so ticked? (laughs) What's he so angry about? Okay, God's a righteous judge. Um, Don't get this impression that God's just always mad, you know, and God just is wanting to hurt you, okay? Um, God is patient. God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, okay? But his patience has a limit. And we can only test the patience of God so long. And then we will receive what we deserve. And thankfully, because Jesus came and died on a cross, we don't have to ultimately receive what we deserve. With faith in Christ, we don't have to ultimately receive what we deserve. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve hell. We all deserve the wrath of God. But because of what Christ did for us and stood in the gap between a perfect God and sinful humanity... We can put our faith in what Christ did for us when he assumed the penalty that was intended for us. And by his stripes, we can be healed, we can be forgiven, and we don't have to suffer the consequences that we rightfully deserve. That's a good and a gracious God. But God, in his patience, can be tested only for so long. And the people have thrown off the prophets. We don't care what the prophets are saying. We don't care what the word of the Lord is. We don't care that judgment, we don't believe judgment is coming. And so they, 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 they turned away from the Lord... And their sins 
are enumerated. There's two main sins that God says. All your sins fall under two main sins, and it's in chapter 2, verse 13. If you'll turn in your Bibles there, in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, I want you to see with me that God kind of summarizes their sins into two main sins. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, this is what God's indictment is against the Jewish people, which is, this is true for all of us. So I want you to put yourself in this story now. Here, here we go. In verse 13 of chapter 2, my people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, this is God speaking, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, that's God's indictment. So all the sins of the people can be boiled down to two things. And I'm going to put on the screens for you these two things. Here's the first one, that they have forsaken God, the spring of living water. Now we need to understand the richness of the meaning here. What is God actually saying that they've done? So we need to first appreciate living water, water specifically. Everybody understands that water is a precious commodity, uh, especially if you're living in an arid climate like the Middle East. You need water. All of us need water, but especially in this environment. A freshwater source is vital to the survival of any people, which is why most major cities, ancient and modern, have been built on a freshwater source nearby. Consider some of the major cities in the world like London, Paris, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Moscow, Dubai, Amsterdam. These are all major cities that are built right along fresh water because everybody understands you got to have a fresh water source in order to survive. But Jerusalem is unique in that sense. It's not built by any fresh water source. Now today, they, they irrigate the water in from the north, from the Galilee. But back in this day, the only water source that sustained the city of Jerusalem were two springs. That's it. One is an unnamed spring in the Bible that filled the pool of Bethesda in the northern part of the city. And one was a spring named in the Bible called the Gihon Spring. They were completely dependent on the source of these springs for water. So you have to, you have to kind of transport yourself and begin to think. We have, we have such a luxury now. You just, you just go to your sink and turn on the tap water. And so we take it for granted. Um, and we have water, you know, anywhere we want water. Go buy bottled water, just turn on the faucet, you got water. Not in those days, friends, okay? They didn't have the luxury of that convenience. So water was scarce, and water was necessary for for their survival. Now, kind of get the picture here, what God is saying. Because what the indictment is, you have neglected the source of your sustenance, okay? He's like, God is saying metaphorically here, I'm living water. And you need me as much as you need water for your very survival, We understand this medically. A person's health, weather conditions, and physical activity all factor into the dehydration rate of an individual. But generally speaking, medical science has proven that the adult human being can survive without water only two days to one week. That's it. And the reason is because our body is majority made up of water. 60% of the human body is water. 60%. And when you look at different organs in particular, the heart and the brain are 73% water. It sloshes around up there, doesn't it, from time to time? <laughs> 73%. Your lungs, 
83% water. Okay, the human body is majority water. So we need water for our, for our very survival. Dr. Randall Packer, a biologist at GW University, wrote for Scientific American. He said, quote, in a very hot environment, an adult can lose between one and one and a half quarts of sweat an hour. Quartz. He said a child left in a hot car or an athlete exercising hard in hot weather can dehydrate, overheat, and die in a period of a few hours, end quote. So that's why we need to stay hydrated. Every cell in your body is dependent on water. Get the analogy here? God is saying, in effect, the concept here in this verse is that we should be as dependent on God as the human body is dependent on water. God is the source of life, he is the author of life, and he is the sustainer of life, and we should need him like we need water. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't see their need for God. They're spiritually dehydrated. They don't see their need for God. This is the case for the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day. They didn't see their need for God. They said, we're we're fine, we don't need God, we're going to turn to other gods, gods that can't help them. Gods that can't save them. Gods that can't provide for them or protect them. I mean, the futility of the whole thing is just, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling. But they're like, we're, we're going to forsake the true and living God. And we're going we're to worship these false gods. We're going to make gods out of our hands. And we're going to worship little idols. And we're going to turn to other gods. By the way, that just simply expresses the innate need in every human being to worship something greater than oneself. That they would turn to these idols. And they would turn to these little manufactured things. But they would forsake the true and living God, the spring of living water, for the sake of worshiping these false gods. They would forsake him. Now, in your Bible, circle the word forsake or highlight it. It is the Hebrew word azab, and it means to disregard, turn away from, let go, or desert. They had, they had deserted God. They had let go of God, and they had turned to these false gods, and without him, the spring of living water, they will surely, like us, die without him. Jesus said in Revelation 21, 6, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. There's this constant analogy in the Bible about God like water and our very survival dependent upon having him in our lives. But unfortunately, the people of Jeremiah's day, not too unlike people of our day, maybe some of you here today, you have forsaken the Lord, the source of your very survival. And notice In the verse here, it's not just that they had forsaken God, that's bad enough, the spring of living water, but they had replaced him with their own hand-dug cisterns. So that's the second indictment against them. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now again, this is metaphorical. He's trying to communicate the spiritual condition of the people. They've forsaken God, he's the source of living water, he's the sustenance, the giver of life and the sustainer of life. And they've turned instead, and they've dug, they've manufactured for themselves cisterns. And God says, but on top of that, these are broken cisterns, can't even hold water. Now, a cistern is basically an an underground water tank that they would literally dig out of bedrock. And in Israel today, archaeologists have discovered more than 50 ancient cisterns just around the city of Jerusalem. And these are just holes in the ground. They would just hand chisel these and dig these out of bedrock... And cisterns were usually pear-shaped, so they were more narrow at the top of the ground where the opening was, about two to three feet, and then, it, and then kind of pear-shaped would be bigger underneath the, the ground, so smaller at the, at the surface, smaller at the opening, 
at ground level so that they could then cover it with like stone or something to keep animals or debris from falling into the cistern. But, but this, these would be holding tanks for water. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary has been sharing from the writings of Jeremiah, and we hope you'll continue to tune in to dig deeper into this Old Testament book of prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. And when you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. You can find a link on our website or just search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word. We'd enjoy meeting you too. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You can get directions and service times at our website. One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's teaching. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know